0: This is the Books and Authors Fantasy Podcast, episode 112. Well, good day and welcome to this episode of the Books and Authors Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, podcaster and author of Fun Fantasy Reads, Jamie Davis. This podcast is exactly what we say it is in every episode here, folks. It's a show where we focus on everything to do with fantasy and even a little bit of sci-fi, In the book world, from everything from epic fantasy to urban fantasy, space opera, pure sci-fi, swords and sorcery, anything you can think of, we try to bring you the best and brightest authors from the sci-fi and fantasy book world here on the show. Starting off things over this week's episode, I'd like to let you know I'm finishing up the final edits for Huntress Adept, book five in my Huntress Clan Saga series— I am going to be handing that book over very shortly to my editor and proofreaders, and we'll be waiting for that to come back so that we can get it out. I hope to have it out to folks sometime uh, the end of June, beginning of July, probably closer to the beginning of July is my guess. Uh, But I just wanted to uh, let folks know that it was coming. I'm also actually in the process of prepping for writing book six in that series. I'll start working on that in earnest as soon as I get book five off to the editor. If you haven't picked up any of the other books in the Huntress Clan saga, I hope you'll take the time to do that. You can check out the entire series over on Amazon. Book one is called Huntress Initiate. You can check out all the things I'm up to, as well as my books, sneak peeks of upcoming covers, special giveaways, contests, you name it. We talk about other people's books. We talk about fantasy in general, all available over at my fan group over on Facebook, Jamie's Fun Fantasy Readers. Just go ahead and search for Fun Fantasy Readers, and you'll find the uh, book group over there. There's also a page of the same name, but um, you can come find the group and ask to join. We'd love to have you in there. And uh, if you want to check out my website and all of my books, you can do that over at jamiedavisbooks.com. Joining us this week on the show is author Christopher Keane. Christopher is the New Zealand author of The Dream State Saga, a five-book sci-fi series that's part of the exploding lit RPG or literary role-playing game genre. He's also the author of The Midnight Queen, The Conclusion of the Super Dungeon series, and various other fantasy books inspired by ideas and media covered on his blog, fantasyandanime.wordpress.com. We talk about his latest book, War of Kings and Monsters, in this episode. So check out that interview with Christopher coming up right now. Christopher, welcome to the Books and Authors Fantasy Podcast. It's great to have you on the show.
1: Great to be here. Thanks for having me on.
0: Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh introduce yourself to our audience of readers out there.
1: Uh well, I am a fantasy and sci-fi author. I um started off uh, writing in the lit RPG genre and now I'm moving on to fantasy. Uh I started in the lit RPG genre around 2016 and uh started my first book under a publisher called Future House Publishing. Uh they published "Stuck in the Game," and uh, after that, they asked for a sequel. And I just kept writing in that genre for a while until I decided to move on. And that's uh, what my newest book uh, is going to be. Uh, it's going to be me moving on to uh, classic fantasy, I guess you would say.
0: Were you just tired of writing lit RPG, or or did you just like like a lot of us just wanted to write different things?
1: It was more along the lines of I'd always. Written in uh, the sort of fantasy genre. It's just, uh, I actually wrote my first book because uh, I was dared to from um, another, uh, another author because I basically said, Oh, it'd be really easy to write one of those game books. And he's like, Nah, nah, it wouldn't be easy. And I'm like, All right, fine, I'll give it a go.
0: And I gave it a go. And it turned out that was the first book I published. So obviously there was a market for it. This is hilarious. I started writing fiction because somebody dared me to do it. I've, I've been a journalist for a long time, written a lot of nonfiction, but, um, somebody dared me to write a fiction novel based on a story I told him once. And I said, all right, I got this. And I did a rimo that year, I think 2014. And that's, I got bitten hard by the bug and I've been writing ever since. So,
1: yeah, it's fun. Yeah. I just think that's funny. Uh, like, how. Uh, you, I what was your dear uh, based on was it just like oh I bet you couldn't write a book or
0: well this was the person who was an, uh, another um, nonfiction author I'm I have a medical background so it was a nurse friend of mine and she was writing uh, a new novel, a new book for her nonfiction line of books that she wrote on nursing education and she said well nanowrimo is coming up we should write something but you you don't I said well I don't have anything to write And I said perfect you're gonna write non-fi- you're gonna write fiction this time. And I was like, yeah. okay. I, so I, I never heard of NaNoWriMo before. So I looked into it, national novel writing month, right? 50,000 words in, in a 30 day period. And I'm like, all right, I can do that. And, um, I did she it. Did it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, I, then it sat for like a year and I didn't do anything with it. And, um, right at the end of 2015, I released it, uh, after pulling it out and editing it and getting some people, people to look at it for me and, it was surprisingly successful. So, I, you know, kind of kept the people were like, Well, when's the next one coming out? So, yeah, that, that was the end of that. Once you get those people asking for the next book, it's hard to say no to them. So, yeah, it's,
1: uh, well, that's a good thing, though. It's it allows you to do something you, you enjoy a little bit longer. Um, for me, it was funny because, uh, I my bit came out about out of me criticizing, um, have you heard of Sword Art Online? Yeah, it was kind of a um, an anime that people like to bash a lot. And I was just like, eh, there's some stuff that's wrong with it. And my mate's like, no, it's great. You can do better. And I'm like, mm, let's have a look. I don't think I did do better because it's probably not as successful. But I don't know. If you read the book, maybe you'll think it's a little bit different, a little bit better. Who knows?
0: And, you know, and, and I think that that's something that and like lit RPG is hard to write primarily, at least for me, not because of the story. But because of keeping track of the stats and stuff, um, like if I didn't have my wife read those books after I'd written them and check all the numbers, uh, it would, they, you know, people would be bashing me constantly because my experience point numbers don't add up and everything else. So um, that, that's what makes that genre almost harder for me in, in that sense.
1: Yeah. Uh, it also has advantages because um, you can kind of shortcut some of the world building when you're writing in a game it's like well for I I it allowed me to do it because I was writing in an actual game not like a world that was like a game like I was writing in an actual game where it was kind of like well why is this setting so incongruous with these other settings it's well, it's because these games have a variety of settings you know you don't have to have world law to explain exactly why they're so different, why there is gunpowder areas and why there's areas where there are, is no guns, or and another one with steampunk or whatever, it's it's just it's a lot more fun because you can go wild with it. But if you are doing stats, you do have to get a bit crunchy.
0: Yeah, and and I actually write pretty light from a stat standpoint. I mean, they're there, but I I really I've always erred towards writing the story first, and you know, and and, and making the stats fit where it's necessary but not going overboard about it. Um, that's just me, and everybody has their own preference. I know people say I'm not as crunchy as they'd like, but you know that's, that's where the preference comes in. Um, and I like what you said about story building. It's probably one of the reasons why my primary genre is urban fantasy because you don't have to describe a car. <laughs> you, you, don't, yeah. you don't have to describe how an elevator works, um, which in epic fantasy, you've got to describe everything that isn't present in the world. <laughs>
1: I love doing that. <laughs> For me it's like uh the little the little things tell you so much about the world if you can do it right. You know, it's the idea that uh if you don't if you don't uh what is it, think about the world as a whole, you can create big incongruities. But if you think about something And just a small thing and how it affects larger parts of it. It really, it almost writes the book for you in a way, because you think to yourself, all right, so how are the characters going to react to these things if they've never explored them before? Or how are they going to, you know, know, bounce off each other? How are they going to be used for a later event? It's for me, that is kind of what I love about writing, really, is just finding those things as I go along. But, so uh,
0: let's talk about your your new series because I, I I got the impression from looking at it that it's more of an epic fantasy series, War of Kings and Monsters, coming out. Um, probably be out by the time this episode's released. Actually, May nineteenth. <laughs> yeah. So um, tell us a little bit about um, you know, you shifted gears, you went into a different direction in fantasy. Um, what, what's what's what was that like, and and where did the impetus for this shift come from?
1: Well, as I said, um. I, I wrote I wrote fantasy before I got published in Lit RPG, and um, then after I'd done that, I was like, oh great, now I can get some of my fantasy stuff published because I actually have a name for myself and I have a publisher who's willing to back me, thank God. Um, and I was like, I was like, okay, let's let's see some of these old projects and which ones can actually be recovered because it's been it's been about five years since I've been writing some of these ones, so they needed a lot of polish. You know, I'd I'd increased my skill a lot since then. So I was, like, looking at the different fantasy books, and one of them was about monster battles. And I'm like, that's kind of, you know, going from lit RPG to fantasy was monster battles. I mean, that is not a big leap, to be honest. And so I was like, okay. So the idea is that medieval fantasy world, sure. Uh, But the idea is that the magic system works very... It's very hard magic system. It's the idea of, you know, you get a soul from a demon world, put it in an, an item... And that item can transform into that demon at your behest. And characters use those to fight. So it's pretty much medieval
0: Pokemon, if you think about it.
1: That's a great, yeah. that's
0: actually a great concept. I like it.
1: Yeah, it was it was really fun. And, you know, you have a leveling system in a way for the um, the different monsters. And each monster come from the, the different circle of this demon world that they're from. And depending on which uh, part of the demon world we are from, depends on like little characteristics or how, they, if they're going to obey you or not, or if they're essentially like the gods of these demons and they can't be controlled at all. And it's always like using these rules to try and make sure that, you know, whoever's battling who is, you know, makes an interesting conflict. But once again, that's just the underlying system. I think the more important part is the character interaction and how that works. And uh like the idea is i've got a kind of brother sister uh rivalry going on between the two main characters in my book, and one of them has been brought up in a kind of hard environment where you know she's essentially being taught to be cold and callous and strong at any cost where the other one has kind of been brought up in a nice sheltered environment he's never been outside the walls, and so as soon as when they these two meet, even though they're basically twin brother and sister, they have completely different personalities and they Approach fights and how they deal with these monsters was in completely different ways, and so that conflict essentially, you know, creates a resonance for the wider conflict of the story, which is, I guess, you'd say, after a war.
0: So, so how how many books do you envision in this series? I mean, this this first one's coming out. Have you thought, you know, this is a trilogy? This is uh, this is, this is an ongoing thing that could go on to many more books. What's your thought process there?
1: I, I don't know. At the moment, it's a standalone. It, it ends pretty well. It ends on a sort of, you know, oh, man, how can we get more epic than this? But my partner has been giving me some ideas of what she hopes I will go to in the future. She's hoping something along the lines of because the idea is that the demon when uh, well, sorry, monster, when it, uh, it, it's soul, uh, it possesses an object, it can influence that object. So, if it possesses a living being, it can kind of possess a living being you know like it's a, and but it can also possess inanimate objects. So the idea is that if you could possess something with inanimate, and then it possess a machine or something. You could have demon-powered machines or something along the lines of that and so Haley was thinking of some sort of steampunk world where everything was controlled by like demons and they were like machines and slowly but surely the machines started to take on features of the demons and stuff like that and for me like because her favorite thing is zoids so as soon as she thinks of uh like mechanical uh like almost animal sort of mechanical machines she automatically sends, "Oh, you have to go that path. You have to go that path," and I'm like, mm, "Okay, well, if I do do a sequel, that's where I'm going." Steampunk demons—that's
0: actually pretty awesome. Um, I know. Well, wow, long time ago, I, I read a book about demon tech, and they used it was a it was a military fiction fantasy book that where they used guns and they they had like demons they loaded into their gun and it shot a spell. Um, yeah you know and and um so that was similar to that but you know not not the same as that at all because running a whole machine or or you know a a, a big fighting yeah. battle tank or something you know yeah. like Alan leonardo da vinci uh, but powered by a demon that would be pretty awesome
1: yeah man, that that if I, if i see if i do a sequel that's that's the sort of system that i want to work with it'd be pretty it'd be pretty far on the future though because as i said it's kind of like a medieval setting so it would have to be like the great ancestors of my characters now but the uh, underlying magic system is there if i want it
0: yeah you've got all kinds of opportunities there you could carry that on through the ages you know come to a modern time come to go to the future uh, there's all... a lot
1: of that's what a lot of fantasy authors want though they they want to they want us like like a different uh, eras trying to, you know, push the magic system and see how it responds in different uh, time time zones. Like Sanderson did that with uh, Mistborn. you know, he starts off with uh, the first Mistborn and kind of medieval, and then it goes on to more sort of Victorian steampunk era, people got guns and it's like, man, guns are pretty cool when you can push on metal. I tell you what.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and and then, yeah, Sanderson has really been great at exploring a lot of different I almost call them crossover genres where they, they've kind of he's kind of bent fantasy into uh, different different things, whereas there's, there's an at there's an aspect of science fiction almost to it that, you know, if you you feel like you almost feel like in some senses his magic system has science behind it in some way. Um, and I'm not sure exactly how that works, but I, I just I, I need to pick his brain sometime if I ever run into him at an author conference. I'm going to have to do that.
1: I think of it as like grounding. Like the more uh, the more limited and the more like you know rule based your system is, the more grounded it feels because you're when you're working in with with some rules and you know using quote unquote physics, it kind of it it makes it feel like there's more impact and more push and more consequences if you fail. And so for me, I, I always love hard magic systems for that reason because it, as I say, it feels grounded. But you know, at the same time, you can bend those rules and you can subvert them. Uh, Like, I quite like the idea of, with my own magic system using the demons to possess people. uh, The idea is that there's a a situation where you think that a demon is like this giant monster. Turns out the monster is actually just a monster possessed by a demon. And so when the monster dies, it just comes back to life because there's fucking demons still inside it. And so for me that was just really enjoyable to kind of just subvert the idea that this, like monsters aren't always monsters if if you know what i mean it's sometimes sometimes a monster can be a person you know it's the idea of uh, this the, one of the characters uses his own body as a packed item as what's the, that's the name of the item that you put the demon inside of and so he can transform into a monster as well it's 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 pretty crazy
0: that is that is awesome, I, and and I really like the concept. I'm looking forward to this coming out. It looks like that really sounds like something that I would enjoy. And and I, you know, I like the idea of a standalone at least for now because it, so many I have so many books that are like series that I just can't read them all. Um, and so it's nice to have a one off that would be nice to just kind of dig into and relax and enjoy, not having to worry about can I read them all before I have to dig into something else. Um, I noticed that you have um, the next uh, lit RPG book, though, lined up to come out uh, next January. Um, Found in the game. Is that correct? Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. That's the last one. That's the last one in the, in the series. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I did not plan ahead at all with this lit RPG series. I wrote this first one on a bit and then my, my uh, publisher wanted the sequel and I was like, sure. And then they're like, oh, you left that sequel on a cliffhanger. You need to write another sequel. And then the third book, I kind of introduced who I consider the main villain. So it's like, okay, so the main villain is, it's like, I, I consider it like Voldemort. You know, once you've introduced the main villain, it's like a ticking clock until the end of the of the series, because you you know that you need to find a way to defeat the villain. And so... The next, the next two books are just basically like trial and error. How do we defeat this villain? And The last one is essentially when they finally get it right.
0: That's awesome, no. I mean, and you're right. I mean, the, the Harry Potter books are a perfect example of that because, you know, in the early books, Voldemort is there, but he's not really there. I mean, he, he's, he's a spirit of himself. So he's threatening, but not mm. not necessarily deadly yet. But boy, when he comes back, and um it was a goblet of fire, I think it is. Yeah. Um and yeah. it is just, you know, from then on out, you know, people are dying left and right. I mean it's it's the, the deadly consequences of that series grow up with the characters. Um and it's just interesting to see that. Um but you're right, that yeah. does set a clock for you to get stuff done.
1: I I, I think it's interesting just like because he's a really, uh, Voldemort's a really interesting character to take on, because I almost consider him the protagonist of the series in a way, because it's like, if you if you think about everything in the book, it's Harry reacting to stuff that Voldemort's done, if, whether it's in the past or in the future. It's always him reacting to try and, you know, mitigate the consequences of this horrible person. And it's like, okay, so if we were following the proactive, you know, person, the person who was actually doing something that everyone was reacting to, that's Voldemort, you know? <laughs> So I'm like, okay, how can I weave that in to my own villains? You know, you always say that, you always when you read something cool, you're always like, "Hmm, how can I use that?" And so, but at the same time you want to make your main character, you know, active, proactive, causing stuff rather than just re- being reactionary. And so, like when you write your when I write my first book, I was just like, "Okay, this is just him surviving, trying to get to uh, his you know, girlfriend that's probably dead or whatever. Spoilers. It's been out for five years. Anyway, uh, the idea is that uh, it's only until later on that you realize that everything he's been struggling toward is essentially trying to undo the thing that the villain has caused long ago. So in a way, it is reactionary. But for the first three books, at least, you're like, no, he's pretty proactive. <laughs> so and then the villain comes in and it's just like stumped
0: that's that's i think very true though I, I think that finding finding echoes of things that you can bring into your books from other books you really love is is does two things it, it it helps you create a better book but it also i think is an homage to the to some great books that are out there um you know and i think that that's um and i think it it it's it's a great learning experience too because to as a writer and i mean i'm always trying to make my next book better than the last book you know it's it's always a focus of mine and and one of the things i try to do is when i find something like that that i want to try to integrate into the next book um you know it there's a learning curve associated with that i mean how do you make this pro, how do you make this antagonist protagonist, right? Um, Mm. You know, how do you build this villain so that they're real, that they are believable, that they're actually the ones setting everything into motion?
1: Yeah. Well, we're standing on the shoulders of the giants because we've got so many great authors to look at and go, all right, so this is how they did it. But at the same time, you can see where they did it wrong and try and, you know, make it better. And so, in my opinion, I look at, you know, as I say, the Harry Potter, and you look at Voldemort, and you're like, okay, so that's clearly the guy who's causing everything. Let's see if maybe, maybe if we did it from his perspective, <laughs> without making him so megalomaniacal, you know, you could have an interesting protagonist on your hands. Uh, that's why I quite like um, antiheroes, because you know the idea of the grey morality. I mean, I'm I kind of been dipping my toes into the grimdark genre a little bit, which I quite like, because it's the idea that. It's, you know half the stuff they're doing is horrible but at the same time you're in their head so you're just being justified through their their goals and their motives and what's happened to them in the past so a revenge tale for instance you're like yeah, yeah the the guy kind of deserves it sort of thing because you're in the head of the person who you know wants revenge against them
0: have you read any nick Eames or anything like um kings of the wild or bloody rose or any of his books i don't know
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah i uh,
0: i just i love how he and how he navigates that, um, where the books, uh, you know, the characters are, are just—they're real, ordinary characters. I mean, they at one point were were out there doing what they wanted, and as adventurers and adventurers of that sort, kill kill people when <laughs> it's necessary and take things when it's necessary. Um, but you still care about them, uh, you know. And that whole getting the band back together thing is just a, yeah. a great trope. So. Um Yeah, it was a it was it was almost like a modern throwback to a fantasy thing. It's like we're getting the band back together, guys. Come on. Well, and you know the book's riddled with like like yeah. allusions to different rock bands. I mean it's yeah. just hilarious. Yeah. Um
1: they see the up and comers and they're like, Oh <laughs> yeah. No, it was a it was a, it was a fun book, I gotta say.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, um, I know you're in New Zealand, so it's hard for you to interact with a lot of readers on, on a large scale, but, um, is there anything you do to interact with readers locally? Um, people in, in the, in your area that maybe read, like to read what you write?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's a bunch of writing, writing and reading groups, uh, speak speculative fiction is a big one down here. Uh, but, it's quite interesting because I think I get most of my interaction with writers through uh, critique groups, uh, just going back and forth, and you know, swapping books and giving each other feedback. But it's quite interesting because a lot of the oh, man, I don't want to badmouth New Zealand, but man, the English the English curriculum here is awful. They don't actually teach you how to write very well, um, and so when I go back and forth with these writers, it's like it's like okay. Uh, maybe you learn to punctuate and then come back because it's just painful. So I guess I was lucky in that respect because I got kind of coached along the way. But I don't know. I, I I'm still not as experienced as some of the writers I chat with, so I can't really talk, say much. You gotta kind of give people their dues.
0: Well, and it's a growth process. I don't think you know. I I haven't written my best work yet. You know, and I I that's just the way I keep looking at it is. Um, I, I know when I work with editor, uh, I, you know, I always talk to them at the, when they finished the a book and say, all right, I'm working on a project now. What is one thing that you wished I'd fixed before it got to you? What is one thing that you think I could work on and improve? So the next manuscript you get from me, you don't have to worry about that thing. Mm. And, and I try to <laughs> then focus on that.
1: <laughs> what was it?
0: Oh, it's, it's something different every time I, I do a new book. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, so the last one was, um, she says, she goes, she used, she said, you use the phrase so-and-so turned and something. And she Mm -hmm. goes, I almost always get rid of that. And I was like, and I never noticed it. Right. So it's something that I left in and didn't pick up on. And I didn't pick up on that. She deleted it necessarily as a matter of routine. And, um, so, you know, she's like, do, don't do that, and, you know, unless it really is necessary. So then I, you know, started really rethinking how I, you know, blocked my characters in a scene and how I moved them around um, to do things. And, you know, she's right. It, a lot of it's unnecessary. You don't need to tell if, if somebody's talking to someone, you don't need to tell them that you, they've turned and followed them across the room. You know, it's, it's assumed. Um, yeah, a so lot it's, that's an example. But I mean, it's stuff like that. In the early days, it was a lot of passive voice fixing you know stuff uh, like that yeah
1: my uh the big one for me is um they call it distance, distancing language when uh you're telling the when you're writing that someone felt or saw or heard or something or thought something and it's like well we're in their head we know you know we know that he saw someone walk through the door you just say they walked through the door you know what I mean and for me like for me that was a that was a big bummer because i went from uh, first person to third person And in first person, you're like, okay, cool. You're in their head. You can just say that stuff. But in third person, like sometimes you're in someone else's head. You don't want to head hop, and so you got to be careful who you're talking from the point of view of. And so a lot of the times you're like, okay, realized he he can realize that because he is realizing it right now. But maybe just you know show a physical reaction, you know, something besides you know telling the readers what you want them to know exactly.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, those those count. I, I've had that. I've had. Yeah, those. But I think that part of being a good writer or or striving to be a good writer is the willingness to accept that kind of criticism and work with it, um, you know, and adapt to it. Um, and, and I know a lot of I know a lot of people who struggle, who have not put a book out, but say they want to be a writer, but they struggle with that criticism. They struggle with. Either they don't want to get the criticism, so they don't put anything out because they don't want to hear something that might they might construe as negative. You know, I I construe it all as like a building process. I know my I know my first book sucks in so many ways, but people love it, and you know that's that's something that um you know if I were to rewrite it today, it would be a much different book in in the structure and the story the story and the characters and a lot of things about it. But I still love that book in so many ways. So I have to, you know, you have to live with the good and the bad.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's quite funny um, when you, uh, you look back on your old writing and you're like, oh, man, that's what I started off with. Ah. And it's, it's but at the same time, you're kind of like, yeah, well, you know, it's a product of its time.
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Um, yeah. But at the same time, I, I kind of uh, I can't help you know, think about what I still don't know, you know, and as, and as you say, you know, the writers who are willing to take on feedback are the ones that, you know, are the ones that get better, the ones that end up getting published are the ones that, you know, you actually want to read. And uh, I guess in a way it relates to uh, openness and that you have both creativity and openness to experience kind of colliding and whether or not you can accept criticism and grow from it and be creative enough to write your own stuff. So, You know, sometimes that can be at odds because you're trying so hard to be accurate that you're not actually focusing on how, you know, creative or how fun your story is. I guess it's the same with uh, architects and panthers in a way. You know, the idea that people are so fixated on creating this perfect story that's structured perfectly. And then when you get to the writing of it, you're like, oh, well, I already know what's going to happen. So it's not as exciting.
0: So, I, I yeah know, I I look at pants I look at the Panzer plotter thing as 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 a spectrum you know it's not a either or yeah. I think everybody falls somewhere on that spectrum some more in one direction than another uh, I think I'm mm-hmm. kind of right in the middle but it, it it changes some books I have to do more research on some books I've had to delve more into character development um, so I think it changes with each project
1: I have like a because I'm such a Panzer I I don't I I don't even see my twists coming. Half the time I don't plan for my twists. A lot of the time, and so I have this kind of background commentator when I'm writing, just thinking, "Oh no, you're not gonna, are you? You're, oh, he is. Oh, why is he doing that? Ah, oh. you know, like it makes sense in the context of the story, but you're like, like, are you really gonna go down that rock? Yeah, you are. Okay, okay. And it's 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 quite fun because it, you react in real time to what you're writing. Whereas if I'd planned that out, I don't think it'd be nearly as fun. Well but
0: at I'm, the same time. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's absolutely true and when I write it's it's I usually have like a sentence or two per chapter and so like I just finished this morning writing a chapter for my next book that's um it, it, the 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 prompt was um she 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 figures out the solution and all hell breaks loose and I knew what the solution was going to be but I didn't know what all hell breaks loose means and um yep. strangely enough it turned out to be a two-headed hellhound. Um so You know, (laughs) but I didn't, but I didn't know that. Like, like literally a rift opened and this thing came out charging at her. And I was like, okay, I didn't know that when I started writing this morning. Um, But that's the joy of writing for me. And it sounds like it is for you too.
1: Yeah. Well, it's funny, actually. um, Now that I think about it, the book that's coming out in May is actually the first book that I've actually planned it out from beginning to end. All the other other ones I did from the seat of my pants, but... Like, so if you, if you've read my mother books, if, if you've read stuck in the game and you want to see what it's like to like the differences between structured story writing and just going nuts, then you can see a very strong contrast because, uh, I, I used a, a pretty, I used some pretty hard, you know, what, uh, is it Chevlov's gun, Kevlov's gun or something. It's, it's the idea you set it up way before, you know, foreshadowing everything before uh, it happens. And, uh, have you say oh. My, cl- my favorite example is uh, Aladdin, where, um, what is it, the, near the very start of the uh, movie is like the rules of uh, the genie is laid out. The idea of, you know, got phenomenal, phenomenal cosmic powers, but you have to be constricted to the lamp, the itty bitty living space. And uh, in the end, uh, Aladdin tricks the bad guy, uh, Jafar, into becoming a genie so that he can trap him in the lamp. And it's like a really awesome way of foreshadowing the way that they're going to defeat the bad guy. And I love that. That's one of my favorite. I think that's the most satisfying way of using a hard magic system is by setting up all the rules and then using them cleverly in the end. And so that's what I did with this one. I was like, okay, you're going to have a a demon who's going to be self-aware. No one can control them. And so the bad guy is obviously going to try and control this one because, well, well, come on. Bad guys. What are what are they what are they well known for? They crave power generally, you know, and power corrupts and that corruption always kicks them in the teeth.
0: Definitely. Well listen, Christopher, it sounds like you and I could be chatting about this for a long time, but uh we gotta cut the podcast short at least for this one. Um, but I think pe- people should look forward to War of Kings and Monsters. It should be out about the time this episode is released. So I hope that if folks will go look up Christopher Keene, War of Kings and Monsters. Christopher, thanks so much for coming on the Books and Authors Fantasy Podcast.
1: And thanks for having me.
0: And that's going to wrap up this episode of the Books and Authors Fantasy Podcast. Make sure you catch up with us for a whole lot more from the fantasy and sci-fi focus community, both on Facebook and, of course, over at fantasy-focus.com. Leave a comment on this episode and let me know what's on your mind. Also on the website, on each podcast episode post, you'll find links to subscribe to the show on your favorite mobile app via iOS, Android. You can even subscribe by email, but you want to make sure you do that. You don't want to miss any of the upcoming episodes. We have some pretty awesome authors scheduled for the next few months, and you won't want to miss any of them coming up. That's it for this episode of the Books and Authors Fantasy Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jamie Davis, author of Fun Fantasy Reads. Don't forget to follow me over on Facebook at Jamie Davis Books, which is my Facebook author page, or in my special fan reader group where you can head over and check that out at Jamie's Fun Fantasy Readers. We talk about a lot of different things in fantasy books, not just my stuff. We talk about all kinds of fantasy stories and fantasy books that folks are reading. It's a lot of fun. Whatever you do, though, I do want you to subscribe to the podcast. Come back here, catch the next show. And while you're waiting, in the meantime, I'll remind you to keep your eyes open, folks, because whether you know it or not, there's magic all around you.